Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. The weekly wrap on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danker, Bharati Jagdish and Ryan Huang. The talk of the town this week. Oh no, not one, Ah, not two, but three. Electricity retailers announcing their exits from the open electricity market. Gosh. Mm, and darkness prevails, or does it? Last week, we saw iSwitch, the largest independent retailer in the open energy electricity market, call it quits. This was followed by another smaller player, Ohm Energy, two days later. And just on Tuesday, Best Electricity also announced their end. So what's really happening here? And is this really the start of the end of the open electricity market in Singapore? Well, uh, online to help us out with this is Subdo Mayasalka, who is Executive Director, Energy Research Institute at NTU. Good morning. How are you? Uh, good morning to you. I'm fine. Thank you. So uh, let's start off the conversation by taking a quick look at the open electricity market in Singapore. It's been around for, what, uh, three years now, I believe. Uh, this was something that was talked about, you know, right at the start. Could the smaller players survive? Uh, what have you observed over the past, uh, over the, this timeline? Uh, yes, indeed. It did start in 2018 uh, in April. And I think there was uh, when the, the electricity market opened up to uh, retail players, there was a lot of euphoria and possibility of uh, companies flourishing in really uh, passing on savings to the customers, but making a healthy profit by themselves. But I think what we have seen over the last three years is uh, I think the energy market is uh, very complex. We have seen over the last decades that energy prices can fluctuate tremendously. And I think we have seen that in globally, but we have also seen that in Singapore. As uh, gas prices increase globally, the local prices have also increased. And in a way, uh, I think what we have seen in the, in the past couple of weeks has been market consolidation, has always been expected. But there are, uh, there's a confluence of factors that sort of made it happen now. And one of the main factors that has happened is there has been significant uh, fluctuations in, in costs in the, in the wholesale market. But Those here's the thing, they were supposed yeah. to protect themselves against the spot price movements by hedging their positions, right, in the futures market. Why hasn't this worked today? So, you know, you're absolutely right. The hedging is mandated uh, by the authorities. And really, to be honest with you, it ultimately boils down to the individual uh, risk management practices and financial planning that the individual companies have done to provide services to their customers in a sustainable manner. Uh, Some of them could uh, really buffer themselves against fluctuations, and some of them really perhaps did not do their homework deep enough. Or maybe there were other underlying considerations for them that could include profitability that it's not necessarily that they exited the market because it was impossible to continue, but it, it didn't make sense for their business practices. Okay, so we are we surprised that, you know, the I mean, it was speculated right at the start that the smaller players wouldn't be able to last the distance. Are, are you surprised uh, with the exit of iSwitch, OM Energy, as well as Best Electricity? Uh, I'm not surprised with with some of the players exiting. Okay. I think the, the details in terms of why each of the companies exited could be different. But on the other hand, I really feel that the open market is the way to go. I think it's energy is not the only place where uh, this uh, that such open markets have, have flourished. 
it, I mean, to take a simple analogy, that happened in the mobile market as well. That happened in the phone lines. Mm. And we had only one uh, player. And now with multiple players, it's ultimately the customers that save money and it's the customers that win. Also, the customers win beyond purely saving money. There are companies that offer differentiated plans. Some of them offer green electrons and some customers would gravitate towards that. However, you know, if you've seen the surveys done by EMA, I think 66% of the customers switched because they could save money. So I think that driving force for the customers would continue with the switch. And I think as long as there are substantial players in the market who can service the retail customers, I think the open electricity market is here, for, here to stay. Mm. However, I'm sure customers at some point will lose confidence if more and more of these entities close. A lot of them might say, I'll just go back to SP Group. It's more stable. I know what I'm going to get. But before we get deeper into that, I mean, clearly you're thinking that, you know, the open electricity energy market is still viable. But you did mention that some of these entities' business practices are in question here. Analysts have talked about a lack of resilience on their part to be able to weather this current storm as well. Give us an idea of some specifics. What do you think went wrong? What were some of those business practices that need to be looked into and corrected? So it's difficult to speak of specific instances or specific companies. But I think you you mentioned this point earlier. Participants in the retail market need to make sure that they hedge against electricity prices or any prices change. But this is done by many different ways. This could be done by exposure to spot prices, which is which is the least desirable. But the really the best way to hedge against this is long-term bilateral contracts that these uh, smaller companies or companies may have entered with the with the Gencos. So I think I think those are the aspects. Some of the experienced ones who have done their homework and understand that anything that goes down can go up. Really did did the bilateral contracts in a proper manner. Nevertheless, I think there is still sufficient number of players in the market that would continue to offer uh, value to the customers and there's sufficient to even drive a competition between each other. All right. Uh, and obviously that will come on the back of a certain amount of number. We saw that at the start. You've talked about how OEM is the way to go. So what kind of implications are we seeing before we can have a more stable business environment for the electricity retail market? When or where do you expect it to sort of settle in terms of the amount of players in this market? So the consolidation that we spoke about is, uh, again, seen in overseas markets as well. Okay. This has been seen in UK, in Japan, in France. And really, it all goes back to whether the companies in the, who are offering retail services have the business acumen to take into account long-term planning, can they strike long-term bilateral contracts, and really, really take a long-term sustainability in mind rather than going for short-term profits. Mm. So it, it's all into the details in terms of how these contracts are made between the retailers and the Gencos or the open market. To what extent can the authorities step in more constructively here? Is there scope for them to do something in order to ensure some stability? Well, there are already in place uh, codes of conduct and other uh, vetting and other aspects of uh, helping the retailers. And I think these are already in place and these are sufficient. I really don't believe that any additional uh, regulations are needed. It again comes back to how robust the company's view is in terms of this business and how they strike the deals. Uh, in the open electricity market. 
But price volatility, you know, it's a bit of a cause and effect. Price volatility, company survival. Uh, what about pricing mechanism? I mean, it's it's a difficult question, right? Because you, you want to you wanna create a competition, yet you don't want competition to destroy competition. No, that's absolutely right. And I think pricing is, uh, is not just limited to Singapore. Pricing is a global issue. And if you just take a look at it over the last uh, two years, the gas prices have spiked 250% globally. So I think Singapore is not immune completely from it. And to compound matters, uh, we had a couple of situations with two gas suppliers from a pipeline from Indonesia where the supply shrunk. So I think some of these uh, supply volatilities and pricing volatilities in the gas market would continue for several months. So I think it is, it is important, again, for the retailers to go revisit some of the contacts that they have had. But to answer one of the questions asked earlier, purely from a, if I speak from a purely con- consumer perspective, there's really absolutely no risk for me. Even if a retailer bails out, I can switch back to SP at really no impact. So SP does offer me a safety net. So in the meantime, I mean, I really would encourage consumers to go back and take a look at what the offerings are and uh, sign on to a plan that makes sense for them. So beyond the retailers, it's also the consumers that need to do their homework as well. Some have suggested boosting other energy sources, renewable energy sources, just so you know we're more diversified. Of course, there are limitations to how much we can do in terms of renewable energy sources in Singapore. Uh, for instance, hydroelectric power cannot be harnessed. We don't have a river system uh, with a fast-flowing river water throughout the year. Uh, but there have been some movements in the realm of solar energy and also a look into nuclear energy technologies in the future. What, what do you think? Is all of this worth looking into further? in order to ensure that there is some protection in the future? Oh, absolutely. I think um, looking at non-fossil fuels or non-fossil ways of generating electricity is not just an opportunity, but it is our duty from the perspective of addressing greenhouse emissions. But as you rightly said, there is a limit in terms of how much uh, green electricity or solar electricity we can generate in Singapore. And I think in, in uh, towards that end, we have Singapore has already identified, uh, Energy Market Authority has identified the possibility of uh, electricity imports. And I think that could play a, a significant portion. Um, there have been many announcements. Uh, of course, the Australia connection has been making a lot of news. But there has been announcements made by companies of uh, importing green electrons from Malaysia as well as, uh, as Indonesia. But there's also another huge opportunity which will be created in the next few years because of the Laos-Cambodia link that we have signed on to. We signed on to that link in November of 2020. And that really opens up the possibility of uh, sourcing even hydropower from beyond uh, Singapore uh, borders. And I think that will open up other options for us. The possibility of electricity imports will open up another possibility for us to ensure that our electricity supply is uh, stable and can potentially be decarbonized going forward. We've been speaking with Subdor Masaka, who is Executive Director, Energy Research Institute at NTU. Appreciate your time this morning. Take care and stay safe. Sure. Thank you. Bye-bye. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.